Hello and welcome to episode 3 of the Dark Pages from the Old Attic, our five-part horror podcast featuring a new ghost story every other week. Yes, real ghost stories collected by my weird great aunt from her adventures around the world. My name is Clara and this is my classmate Ella. So, Clara, have you been able to sleep well this week? Yes, why? Oh, you know... Maybe you have been so spooked by the stories, you might not have gotten any sleep. Well, the last story was a bit more spooky than the first, but maybe the one I've chosen for this episode will do it. There's an actual maybe ghost in it. A maybe ghost? I love those. You'll see. I have a question. Alright. Do you think these pages are cursed and by reading them the ghosts will come and haunt us? I think if we were in one of these stories, that's what would happen. Maybe we will be, and then we also get to write our story. I don't think we need to write our own stories. There are like, what, a thousand pages in here? Mm, yeah, but I bet mine would be the scariest. Mm, scarier than uh, today's story? Well, let's see. How about you read today's story? Great idea. What have you called this one? This one is named Ghost of the Chateau. First of all, you must understand that what I experienced wasn't really visual in any way, as far as I could recall. It was mostly auditory, in fact, but there was still much to it, so I think it might contribute to your endeavor. I'll let you decide, of course. Um, but with that out of the way, let me begin. It was back in the summer of 89, June to be exact. I was in France with my wife on our annual holiday. We had come to France many years in a row, but we tried to visit a new region every time we came. This year we were staying near a town called Abusson, almost perfectly in the middle of the country, at a former chateau turned B&B. I had corresponded with the owners, a Mr. and Mrs. Maquet, who seemed very friendly, and when we arrived they welcomed us warmly. The chateau looked like a castle, with two floors sitting above a semi-basement, and a turret in each of the corners facing the driveway. It even had a moat on the other three sides, with a garden full of flowers around it, and a towering dark forest beyond. All in all, it could hardly have been more picturesque. When we arrived, Mrs. Maquette gave us a tour around the house and the grounds, and when we had appreciated the surroundings sufficiently, she made several suggestions for places to dine in the evening, while also offering the opportunity to have dinner at the chateau. We were free to wander the house and the gardens as we pleased, and uh, even to drop by the kitchen if we wanted to. Only, the first floor was off-limits to all guests. After that, she left us with the key to our room on the ground floor, so we could settle in. Both Mary and I thought she was exceedingly kind, and it was a promising start to our holiday. And so it began. Since we had travelled all the way from England that day, we spent the rest of it exploring the local town at a very sedate pace, ending up dining at a local restaurant before returning to our lodgings. We were slightly inebriated from a, perhaps, little too enthusiastic introduction to the local vintage, so all in all, a very merry evening. 
The only disturbance was the sudden sound of furniture being dragged loudly across the floor above us. As I said, we were staying on the ground floor and I assumed it was our hosts. At breakfast the following morning, I mentioned to Madame Maquette how easily sound traveled between the floors of the house, and I was taken aback by the way her eyes widened. She seemed lost for words for a moment. Ah, monsieur, she said haltingly, it is but uh, our cousin staying with us. We let her use the upstairs rooms. She likes it quiet, you see. She spoke slowly, presumably to make her French easier to follow, though it was hardly necessary. Both my wife and I had had years of brushing up the language. My pardon, I said. I meant no rebuke, simply curiosity. We, said Madame Maquet. As I said, she likes it quiet, prefers not to be disturbed. If she is of any further nuisance, however, I shall let her know. She means no offense, of course. Of course not, I said, trying to indicate with my tone that the explanation was sufficient. I suppose that she did get the hint, as when she finished pouring coffee for Mary, she looked at both of us for a moment. So really, don't go up there. She wouldn't like that. Mary raised her eyebrows suddenly and I forced a smile. Yes, we understand, Madame Maquet. She nodded hesitantly, then swept out of the room and headed for the kitchen. I looked at Mary and she simply shrugged. We spent much of the day in Opusson, visiting a couple of local art galleries and trying out one of the cafes in town. When we got back to the chateau, Mary lay down for a nap to stave off a creeping headache, and I sat down at the wide window overlooking the moat and forest beyond, picking up a book that I had brought from home. While the day had been blessed with sunshine, clouds had rolled in by this point, and the light from the window took on a cold hue as the gloom filled the room. When I got up to turn on a lamp, I heard a loud scraping sound above. It was like a heavy armchair or something was pulled across the floor. I looked over at Mary, but she hadn't stirred by the sound. However, as the lamp on the table lit up with a click, the sound came again, as if whoever was up there had changed their mind and pushed the chair back in its original place. Something else was moved. High on pitch, perhaps a table. At this point, Mary had sat up on her elbows, looking at me, then up at the ceiling, and then back at me again. I'll have a word with them, I said, and went out to find either of the Marques. It turned out to be easier said than done. When I had looked all over the ground floor, I looked outside, but saw no sign of the elderly couple. In the end, I went back inside, feeling pretty annoyed. On my way back to Mary, I came across a stairway leading up to the first floor, and I stopped. Looking around me, and still seeing no signs of the Marques, I took a moment to consider before putting my foot on the first step. If they wouldn't be around to tell their cousin to give the furniture some rest, I would. Monsieur! I jumped back from the stairs, slightly sheepish as Madame Maquet appeared around a corner. Your cousin, I said flustered. She seemed to be rearranging her room. Is it possible you could inform her that my wife is dealing with a headache downstairs? Madame Maquet nodded horridly. We, oui, we, oui. I will take care of it. I waited for her to go upstairs, but she didn't move. 
and as it began feeling awkward, I decided to be the respectful guest and go back to Mary. The furniture shuffling continued for a while, but finally came to an abrupt halt. And I erroneously thought that was the end of it. I've always been a light sleeper, and that night I woke without knowing why. The bedroom was dark, without even the slightest touch of moonlight from the windows. Outside, the trees were blowing in the wind, which must have picked up while we slept, but I didn't think that was what had woken me. I was used to the sound of wind from home, and it never bothered me. My eyes were slowly adjusting to the dark as I looked around the room at the dim outlines of furniture and the paintings on the walls. There was a tall shadow in the corner that I had to look at for a while, until I realized it was our coats. Mary was still asleep, and after a while I lay down again. And then I heard a cough. It sounded like it came directly above us, beyond the white plaster ceiling. Not loud, but maybe enough to have awoken me in the first place. It came again, a laboured, exhausted cough. I suppose it must have been the cousin, though it sounded a bit deep. It was hard to get mad at the poor creature, but a coughing did keep me up much of the night. There would be long pauses where I could doze off, only to be brought back by new spouts of coughing. I think I fell asleep some time in the early morning, only to be dragged out of my dreams by the sound of music. I was tired and confused. But this time, my wife was also awake. The sound of the wind blowing hard outside filled our gloomy room, and having looked at each other, we both looked up. The music was coming from upstairs. It sounded like a terrible recording of some classical music. I looked at my watch and felt the first proper spike of anger. No matter how sick you were, it was disrespectful to play music this early in the morning. Besides, we hadn't booked rooms in a hospital. I got out of bed and told Mary I would get us some peace. Once properly dressed, I went out and headed for the stairs to the first floor. The chateau was dark as I crept through the creaky hallways, and despite my rightful intentions, I felt a bit like a thief in the night. But. If we couldn't sleep in the bed we had rented, I was in my right to complain. When I reached the stairs, I looked around to check if any of the hosts were right around the corner, but everything was quiet except for the distant wind. I waited for a while, until I was sure I was alone. The steps of the stairs creaked under my feet as I went up, and I winched with every sound. If I was caught, I could hardly continue my endeavor and my hosts didn't seem capable of keeping their cousin quiet. We might have to find another place to stay, but it was so much hassle I didn't want to deal with on our holiday. At the top of the stairs was a surprisingly worn-looking door. The paint had mostly peeled off, revealing cracked grey wood underneath. The brass handle was dull and dark with patina, and I noticed the dust on the topmost steps was thick as a carpet. There were no prints in it either, suggesting Madame McKay hadn't come this way earlier after I had told her about the noise. Of course, there had to be more than one narrow staircase to the first floor. But still, 
Through the old wooden door floated the music I had heard downstairs. I tried the handle, but when I pushed the door, it didn't budge. Carefully, I applied more pressure, testing if it was merely stuck. But when that didn't work either, I decided it must be locked. For a moment, I was bumped. I couldn't just break down the door, and so far, complaining about the noise to our hosts hadn't worked. Knocking was the only solution left to me, and so I raised my hand and rapped on the old wood. At first lightly, as not to alert my hosts downstairs, but when nothing happened and the music continued somewhere beyond the door, I knocked a little harder. Still no response. I was about to raise my hand to thump properly on the old door, but then I heard a click. Surprised, I looked down at the keyhole. I hadn't heard footsteps on the other side, but maybe the floor was less creaky in there than out here, or perhaps the music had covered the sound. Cautiously, I grabbed the handle and mentally prepared what I was going to say. And this time, the door opened when I pushed. And not as I had expected, but as if someone pulled it from the other side. It swung wide open, just as the music came to an abrupt end. I stared at the dusty and dilapidated loft room before me. There was no one in here. And yet it felt like I had interrupted a congregation and now everyone was looking at me in silence. But there were really no one in the room. Except for a few pieces of furniture draped with white sheets, all I saw was dust, cobwebs and gloom. Suddenly I didn't feel at all like going in. But then I thought of Mary trying to sleep downstairs and I steeled myself before stepping forward. Looking sideways, I could see no sign of whoever had turned the lock and pulled the door open. And judging from the thick layer of dust on the floor, no one had approached this door from the side in ages. I wished I had put on shoes for this, but at least the thick dust and my socks helped conceal my footsteps as I made my way through the room. There were several doors, along with a circular window letting in the faint grey light of dawn, which should have been much brighter if not for the heavy clouds broiling above the chateau. I tried a door, which I thought led towards the room above Mary's and mine, and what I found beyond was a corridor, just as dusty as the room behind me, with faded flowery wallpaper peeling off the walls to expose raw wooden boards cracking at the edges. Cobwebs made every corner fuzzy, and the only light in this place came from between the boards blocking most of the window at the corridor's far end. I reckoned the last door on the right would lead to the room I was looking for, but every step towards it filled me with a doubt. No one could be living here. The idea of opening that door and finding a perfectly maintained and livable room seemed more and more laughable the closer I got. Before I reached it, though, I heard a cough from the other side, and my unease turned to concern. Were the Marquess really keeping their relative up here? In a place like this? It was despicable. If she wasn't sick already, this place would surely do it for her. I tried the door, but to my frustration, it was locked as well. 
I knocked on it, momentarily forgetting the need to be quiet. Please open, I said in French. I listened, but heard nothing. Not even a cough. Then there was a light tinkling sound to my right, and I turned just in time to see something small come to rest in the dust, only a few feet away from me. When I went over, I saw it was a rusty key. I looked up and around me, but could see no place from where it could have fallen, and there were no footprints in the dust except for mine. It could have been tossed from the far end of the corridor where it come from, I supposed. Picking it up, I looked back at the door. It was no surprise that it fit the lock, and when I turned the key, the bolt snapped aside. At this point, I was more than concerned about what I would find on the other side, and I took a moment to brace myself. Then I pushed open the door, and I gawked. There was nothing. The room was empty but for a wooden box under a clumsily boarded up window. Dust was as thick as everywhere else and cobwebs hung from the peeling plaster ceiling like veils. I couldn't believe this was the right room, but peeking through the boards at the window I saw the same view as from my room downstairs. And then I heard Mary sneeze faintly below me, and I felt the hairs on the back of my neck rise. The mere thought that we had been sleeping so close to a place like this was chilling on its own. But what about the sound we'd heard? There were no doors in this room apart the one had entered and no signs that anyone had been in here. I bent down and looked into the box. There were old yellowing pages with faint typewriting on them, as well as a couple of old photos. Wiping the dust off the first, I saw it was of the chateau, as seen from the driveway. It was black and white, and judging from the clothes the people were wearing, probably from the first half of the century. The second photo gave me chills, as I recognized the loft room with the circular window. In the picture, rows of beds stood side by side, full of people with bandages on their heads, their hands, their legs. Nurses in white gowns walked among them, their busy movement blurring them at the edges in a ghost-like fashion. Again, I judged it to be around the Great Wall. A cough in this very room startled me, and I looked around, feeling the blood drain from my face. I dropped the photos and pressed myself against the boarded-up window, eyes darting back and forth but seeing no one in the dark, cobwebbed corners. It could have been Mary downstairs, but I thought it had come too close and too loudly for that. I managed to will my limbs into motion and I hurried to the door. As I passed down the corridor, I saw one of the doors on the left had opened. Through it, as I passed by, I could see a dusty table upon which stood an old gramophone player. The gramophone disc itself was dusty and warped with age, cracked in several places. I moved on without a second glance, striding through the loft room to the stairs. As I left the room, I heard music play behind me, and I would have turned if not for the feeling of someone looking at me from behind. I cared not for this anymore, and shut the door behind me without looking. 
hurrying down the stairs and back to Mary. She could clearly see I was upset and it was impossible to brush it off. So in the end, I told her what I had seen. I don't know what she made of it, but we didn't speak of it for the rest of the day. The weather had turned really bad, with wind and rain lashing at the old building. And it continued all the way to dinner, which we had accepted to take with our hosts. As we sat, I brought up the subject of the noises above our room and watched our hosts keenly to get their reactions. Both of them exchanged quick glances. Our cousin is a bit unruly, I'm afraid, said Madame Maquet. But there's no one up there, I said bluntly, unable to contain myself. It irked me to be lied straight to my face. Monsieur Maquet almost jumped from his chair. You went up there? He said with a shaking voice. I had to, I said. It was utterly impossible to sleep through all that music. Madame Maquet looked at me with nodded eyebrows. The music? She said feebly. A loud thump on the ceiling made us all jump in our seats and look up. For a moment, everyone sat silently, with only the sound of the rain peppering the windows to be heard. But then came another thump, followed by the scraping of heavy furniture. From the corner of my eyes, I saw the Marquess exchange another look. Then we heard a door open, and all looked towards the corridor where the stairs led up to the first floor. Madame Marquet looked positively pale now, and had risen still a napkin clutched in her hands. A loud creak came to us, and I recognized the sound of the steps of the stairs. Then another creak, and Monsieur Marquet was on his feet as well. Get up, he said. Quickly now, up! The urgency and sheer panic in his voice made me and Mary rise instinctively and Madame Maquet began ushering us out of the dining room towards the entrance hall. Out! Quickly! she said all the way. Wait, our coats! said Mary, but our hosts were practically herding us to the front door. Even out here we could hear the heavy creaking on the lower steps of the stairs. Madame Maquet opened the front door and, for a moment, I thought they were throwing us out. But she was the first to leave the chateau running into the pouring rain and, astonished, Mary and I followed. Monsieur Maquet came running shortly after, slamming the front door shut behind him and running for the couple's car. The lights were still on in the house, as the Maquets practically shoved us into their car. Monsieur Maquet stepped on the accelerator and we sped off onto the forest road, while both Mary and I looked around utterly confused. The trees were obscuring the chateau at this point, so I'm not sure what I saw when I looked back. Something dark, moving by one of the lit windows, I think. Drenched and shivering, we all drove to the nearby town, where the Marquess arranged lodgings for all of us. They refused to comment on the events, but expressed great regret at our situation. The next day, they brought our belongings to the new lodgings and wished us a nice holiday. I think Mary and I were too stunned to do anything but follow along. We had a fine holiday in the new place, but the whole thing always seemed so weird to me. I struggled to explain it and I think Mary has a harder time since she didn't see the first floor herself. As I said, I'm not sure I saw anything, so 
everything can be explained away, but that feeling we had that night, it's not something I'll ever forget. It felt like a close call, but with what? I don't know. And that's it. I hope it's of any use to you. So, that was your maybe ghost. Yeah, you see, the narrator clearly thinks it is a ghost, but we don't really see it. So uh, it could be something else. Yes, something else. Like the annual ghost gathering. A ghost convention, so to speak. Did you think it was scary? Hmm. Well, the ending was quite spooky. When the convention got interrupted and the host ghost got mad, it had clearly asked for no human participation. I guess the narrator was kind of rude, breaking the house rules and such. Like, stay out of people's private property. <laughs> yeah, poor ghosts. It reminds me a bit of The Woman in Black, if you know that one. Mm, it's the one with Harry Potter, right? I haven't seen it. Is it any good? Yeah, it has a proper ghost and uh, the whole don't disturb the haunted place and uh, scary stuff will happen. Ah, yes. Don't be rude to ghosts. They can turn lights on and off and knock stuff over. And uh, maybe, maybe a bit more in this film. Oh, sounds intriguing. How about I come over and watch it? I'll bring the snacks. Uh, how about Saturday? Tomorrow? Uh, okay, sure. Great. Um, yeah, so uh, that was what we had for you today on The Dark Pages from the Old Attic. Come back in two weeks and join us for our fourth story. Until then, take care of yourselves. Yes, have a spooky week and don't disturb the maybe ghosts. Today's episode of Dark Pages from the Old Attic was written and voiced by Zoe and Vicky Sivang. We release a new episode every other Friday, and you can head over to our Instagram at Dark Pages Podcast for updates, teasers, and illustrations for each episode. If you wish to support us, give us a rating and review on the platform you're listening to the podcast. And don't let your friends miss out on the spooky times. You can contact us on Instagram or by email at darkpagespodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you in the next episode.